All right, so this is the second now of our series of meetings on discipleship. And if you remember, as I explained last week, that I'm giving two introductory sessions before we actually start this programme itself from, from this rebuilt um, organisation. Um, so once we start properly in uh, next week, each session will be a 20-minute film, then half an hour for discussion. Um, <clears throat> and I'm hoping we can then add a bit of prayer at the end as well and still keep the session within an hour. Um, so we're aiming, or the aim of the structures at the regular groups, that you get to know each other a bit so you feel comfortable talking about different things. Um, and we've only at the moment scheduled a series of eight meetings, but if people like the format and everything, we could run this continually. So I'm doing two weeks to introduce the whole thing. Um, and you remember last week I was talking in general what is a disciple. I said a disciple is someone and it had this image here, they're all gathered around Jesus. Everybody, who are they looking at? They're all looking at Jesus. They're looking at the master. That's what a disciple does. He's found a master, he's chosen the master, He's looking to him. He wants to learn from his master. He wants to be trained by his master. And that goes with being in a personal relationship with his master. Um, so there's a relationship, a pattern. Um, and last week, if you remember, we focused on the image of the coach. Ah, before that. Remember, I made the contrast with someone who's just <laughs> attended. Yes, he's, uh, and you know, Easy to be the, just the attender, to be there in the pew, but not committed, <coughs> not submitting your life and thinking to the master, not in a relationship with him. Um, so you remember, last week I outlined what a coach does for the athlete and how every athlete has a coach. If he wants to win, he wants a coach. The cat coach gives him a goal, gives him a model of victory that usually the coach is someone who was a successful athlete himself. Models behaviour. You need to do what I do if you want to get there. Um, promises the reward, trains in methods, teaches knowledge, warns of pitfalls. I also said he gives suffering, yes, the, the suffering of the training, which it parallels the suffering of the cross that is part of our way to glory. And that he gives motivation and encouragement. And in all of this, he's giving a way to live. So last week, in my presentation to you, and in the discussion afterwards, we were focusing on modelling behaviour, who has inspired us, who's influenced us, lifestyle. This week, I want to shift the focus more directly to Jesus, um, because that's what it's really about. There's a particular discipleship we're talking about. Um, and not just receiving, but actually there's a thing in which we need to be giving, and this is actually of the nature of discipleship, that you don't just selfishly get trained for yourself, but actually we then have a duty to be doing the same for others. So, before we look at that, boy with a basketball, he's got a coach. Well, who is our coach? Um, 
Well, put a threefold pattern here. Obviously, at its most fundamental level, Jesus, he's our coach. He set up a church so that he comes to us, that that is mediated to us. Um, so how do I meet Jesus today? I meet him through his church, through his seven sacraments, through his teaching, through his saints. Um, and then very specifically, this course we're looking at, in a sense, at a practical level, we can see as being our coach, or rather that's what it's aiming to do, to train us in discipleship. But not because they figured it out, but because they reckon they are passing Jesus to us through his church. Yeah? So who is our coach? That's our coach. So as I said, using this, um, this book that's been published and there's a whole parish association that we've linked our parish with now for this. And it's about change. So whatever you think you are now, you can be. Jesus gives us this vision of glory in order that if we follow him, if we model him, if we be discipled by him, then we can get there too. So that's all a little recap from last week. So, two things I'm wanting to add to our concept of discipleship this week. One is the fact that we don't just get, but we need to give. So on the left-hand side there, Last week's image of the disciple, being taught, being coached, using that image of the coach from last week. This is an image, you can't see it clearly, the sun's too bright, but of Jesus at the end of Matthew's gospel, when he says to the 12 apostles, go, go make disciples of the nations. So after he'd been with his chosen for 12, two years, uh, three years, with his 12 especially, He'd been training them, coaching them, discipling them. He then sends them to make disciples of others. And this is the pattern of authentic discipleship. So if we allow ourselves, as is very easy to do, to slip into an overly private Christianity where I get, I am nourished, I receive, but I forget the fact that I am sent, then actually I've missed something that's part of the whole dynamic. So, disciple, apostle. <coughs> the word apostle, I'm sure you've all heard before, means literally sent. So the 12 apostles are the ones who are sent, um, but that we are all called in a broader sense to be apostles if we have become disciples. So, modelling this again, the disciple receives from the Lord and then, as an apostle, is sent by the Lord, sent to make more disciples. To quote again what Jesus said, is what this is in this image, end of Matthew's God, go make disciples of all nations. So all disciples are ultimately called to be apostolic, to be sent. Is that another Greek word? Yes. Apostle. Yes. yes, yes, so it'd be... Um, beyond that, I don't know its derivation. Because actually, although disciple, we have 
in the English language words like discipline and things, I can't think of anything in the English language where we continue the word apostle in any derivation. So, so was Greek the lingua franca at the time? It was, yes. So Jesus was a Jew, so their language was Hebrew, but at the time of Jesus, the common language spoken in that time was a derivation um, of, he- of Greek, which was Aramaic, which is kind of a blend of the Hebrew and the Greek. Um, so probably Jesus would have spoken most of the time in Aramaic um, and he'd have had key moments when he would have other, used other languages as well. Um, so the verb structure of certain bits of the Gospels, the scholars will sometimes say this implies a, a Hebrew root um, and so forth. Because if you lived in that time, um, you'd have had to be fluent in a number of languages depending on whether you were speaking to the Roman governor or the Roman centurion who was telling you what to do or the businessman would be discussing Greek. Um, so the Gospels are written in Greek as, as you say, the lingua franca of the day. Okay, sorry, a bit of a... Oh, okay. Okay, so I've said the two things I'm wanting to add to our notion of discipleship today. One is... The fact that we don't just receive, but we send, we disciple others. Ah, um, oh yes, before I move on. This book, you may remember one of the first things when I moved into the parish we did was we had book reading groups. So we had four different groups. I think about 50 people in the parish signed up for this, reading the book, different chapters, and then discussing it in groups. That the priest, uh, the bishop, when our new bishop, well, five years ago, still new, um, he gave a copy of this to each and every priest um, and gave it to us as a model of the new evangelization because it lays out how each of us becomes a disciple and how we're also called to help others to become disciples. So, this modeling of discipleship um, <coughs> is. Um, Part of why I'm talking about it is our bishop's talking about it and he's talking about it because it's in the air as a, an image of what the last few popes have been talking about uh, for the new evangelization. So I said, two things I want to point out. We need to disciple others. The other thing I want us to focus on today is, in a sense, more explicitly adding Jesus to the picture. That we don't want to be disciples of the latest diet fad or slimming world down the road. You know, you can be a disciple of slimming world. You can structure your life according to what slimming world says. Um, yes, and that involves as much of your life almost as following Jesus. You know, <laughs> when you wake up, what you eat, when you eat, you know. Um, there's a particular type of disciple we're talking about here. It's the disciple of Jesus. So... We need to meet Jesus. We need to find our coach. And you imagine the boy with the coach here. <coughs> you can have all kinds of different relationships with the coach. A kind of distant relationship with the coach that kind of, well, I hear him shout at me, but I don't pay too much attention. Or I hear him shout at the group, but I don't get too close. If we're going to have Jesus as our coach, 
the strength of our relationship with him is going to be pivotal if he's going to disciple us. So, finding Jesus. Can you all see this cartoon here? <coughs> with the two guys at the door. Have you found Jesus? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and can you all see Jesus on the picture? <coughs> but he's hiding behind the curtain here, yes. <laughs> so when people say, have you found Jesus? Um, it can sometimes seem... A bizarre question like, is he there hiding behind the curtain? Um, but there is a more, you know, it is actually a serious question. Have we found Jesus and how deeply have I found Jesus? Um, and that we have a duty to help others find Jesus. So, you can see an image in this picture, three people. Um, and I'm asking the question, how do we meet a new friend? Often it's this pattern here. You have a friend and he introduces you to his other friend. You are introduced. There's an encounter. Somebody says, here, this is Jim. Meet Jim. Um, he's proposed to you. And then you have the option, choice. Am I going to engage with him? Am I going to relate to him? Is he going to become my friend? <coughs> so to spell that out. We're introduced, we thus have an encounter with that person, and we start to have a relationship with him. Um, and that same pattern, introduction, encounter, relationship, that's needed for anybody to be in a Christian. So, um, this is a quote from, so not that many years ago, the, all the bishops of the world were gathered for uh, a synod on the new evangelization. And this quote is one of the things they said. The goal of all evangelization is to create the possibility for this encounter. So you, we all know the phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, yes? But if you don't get the horse to water, it's not going to drink at all. So evangelization has to find lots of different ways in which, in a sense, we get the horse to water. And you can't shove the horse's head in the water. You know, lots of people try down the centuries to kind of make someone a Christian. But we can make the possibility by creating a possibility of this encounter. So that's what the new evangelization has to have as its continual goal. And because we live in a changing society, changing environment on all kinds of levels, the recent popes have been saying we need to be looking for new ways to do this. That you can't just use the old ways. So I'm sure we all remember John Major as Prime Minister. Mm -hmm. Do you remember how it, that last general election campaign he went out and stood on those soapboxes? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, it was kind of delightfully retro <coughs> to see a Prime Minister on a soapbox. But it only really worked for him because there was also a television camera on the soapbox, yes. Um, but we, in parallel, need to be looking for ways to create the possibility of this encounter. So, paralleling what I had on the last slide, three stages in evangelization. Somebody proclaims Christ to another, 
The person thus encounters Christ and the person thus begins to have a personal relationship with the Lord. That's the aim of evangelization. That's what we're aiming to achieve. And you can't force this third <coughs> stage. But if you don't do this first bit, then the rest isn't possible. And we are therefore denying the possibility to others. And if we're benefiting from our encounter with the Lord, if we're benefiting from being his disciples, well, we need to want others to have that same benefit too. Okay, so thinking more practically now, um, and just thinking of my own life as an example, who introduced Christ to me? Because um, I didn't find him for myself. Somebody introduced him to me. You may have seen me use this next couple slides a couple of years ago. So we need to wind the clock back to think this through. Yes, <laughs> that's my first Holy Communion. Lovely little missing tooth there. Um, so who introduced Christ to me? Well, not just one person. This is one of the first things I want to point out to you. If I want to think who introduced Christ to me, there was a whole bundle of people. So, here's my mother holding me when I was newly born. She was hugely pivotal in introducing Christ to me. Here are my grandparents with her. They were both Catholic. They were both very solid in their practice of their faith. My grandmother in particular, I can remember her devotional life. Um, it was just so organically part of her life. And with my grandfather as well, uh, he was just, um, he was a man and he was a Catholic. Um, here's my parish priest. So this is my ordination. Um, <coughs> My parish priest and his predecessor's parish priest um, laying hands on me at my ordination, they were a big influence in terms of introducing Christ to me. An image of the nun at my primary school, uh, headmistress Sister Canis, was a big influence again. And her ruler, um, you know, <laughs> um, back in the days when, when headmistresses had rulers. Um, but, um, I mean, still every Mass, when I raise the host and I say, my Lord and my God, I think of her because she taught me that prayer and to make it at that moment. Um, and then there's a cluster of university friends here. So, oddly, although I had all of these influences in my childhood, all of these people introducing Christ to me, something didn't really click until I was an adult. Um, and when I was at university, um, my Protestant evangelical friends would talk about this thing, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Um, and actually through them, oddly enough, um, my relationship with the Lord stepped up to a whole new level. Um, so in summary, who introduced Christ to me? Not one person, a whole bunch of people. And the university friends, actually, if they hadn't had this foundation to build on, actually, I don't think that would have done it. Um, so it takes a lot of people, usually it takes a lot of people, to introduce Christ to somebody. Now let's think a slightly different question. How? How did they introduce Christ to me? And again, I want to make the point, they didn't just have one thing. 
They didn't just say, here's the Bible, read this, um, John 3.16, uh, read this, and now you know Jesus. Um, no, there's a whole bunch of things. How? So we talk about the kerygma proclamation, the initial core of the gospel. Jesus dies for your sins and rose in glory. Um, there was a gradual catechesis for me as a child. This little boy, he had things explained to him in many stages. I was taught how to pray, taught how to kneel at the end of my bed, um, taught different prayers to say. I was given images to stick on the wall above my bed so that I'd have somebody, to, in a sense, to visualise as I was talking. Um, and reading the Bible to me. Um, lots of things. But, and again, thinking more broadly, <coughs> trying to think as broadly in the sense as we can, things and not just people introduced me to Christ. Um, so I've got a picture here, but my home church... I had one of those churches when I grew up where the glory of the church itself spoke to me of the greatness of God. And that physical building, a thing, helped introduce God to me. But things like the rosary, like the Bible, um, like here's an image of the seven sacraments, um, all the bits that go up to tradition. Tradition being, ha literally tradition means handing on. How does Jesus get handed on from 2,000 years ago to me today? Handing on, always. Lots of things are needed if you're going to hand on the greatness of God to somebody. Not just a single verse from the Bible, not just the Bible. There's a whole living, a whole pattern as well as, as I say, physical things, a good church in itself, in its design, in its structure, in its imagery, should speak of God. Okay, so the new evangelization. Um, we're calling it new still, even though this phrase has been around nearly 40 years. Um, Pope Francis has taken it up with a, a renewed call, um, saying saying that we in our era have a task to proclaim the gospel. Um, that it's not just that, well, you know, Augustine of Canterbury brought the gospel from Rome to England in the year whenever that was, a long time ago, um, and that was finished, that England was evangelized. No, actually, we in our day have a particular need to be doing this, um, but almost in every era there's a need to be doing this. So Pope Francis um, uses this phrase, and he's actually quoting from Pope Paul VI. Missionary outreach is paradigmatic for all the church's activity. Now the word paradigmatic, um, fancy word, means the model. So all church activity needs to be modelled on evangelization. So as I said earlier, this thing you, you proclaim Christ to somebody they meet Christ and then have the opportunity to have a relationship with him. That needs to be the model of everything that happens in the church. So our first Holy Communion program, those children 
in our parish. They're only here because actually their parents are already Catholic. But we are proclaiming, introducing them to Christ that they might have a relationship with Christ. You know, every bit of the church's activity needs to be modelled on evangelization. That's what the popes have been saying. So, all of this activity, asking the question, how do they introduce Christ to me? All of the church's activity was handing Christ on to me, enabling me to meet Christ. Okay. Coming near to the end now. So, a final thought about changing ourselves. So if we are talking to others about Christ, if we are making it possible for others to meet Christ, well, actually, there's something that needs to be put right in me to make that work. And I've asked two questions there. I need to always ask myself, how fully have I encountered Christ? If I'm seeking to enable others to encounter him, how fully have I encountered him? How fully today have I encountered him? Um, how deeply do I have a personal relationship with him? Um, and this again is another quote from Pope Francis. He said, life grows by being given away. Um, part of what changes me is actually introducing others to Christ. If I think my faith and my relationship with him is utterly private, actually there's something not quite right about it. It's in handing him on to others that actually my relationship with him grows. And part of why I'm asking this question is there can be a fear within us of hypocrisy, that I'm not good enough to tell other people about Jesus. I'm not a good enough Christian, so how can I tell other people they should be a Christian? Um, and this can be a real fear in us. Um, so, made these statements here. I present Christ to others, not because I have fully known him and loved him already, but because I know I would be better off if I had more fully known and loved him. And I know that others would be better off if they had. So I'm not claiming something great about myself in telling someone else about Jesus. Rather, I'm saying, <clears throat> the more I know Jesus, the better I am. And the more you know Jesus, the better you will be. So it's not a claim about myself that I'm making in terms of hypocrisy. Okay, so to summarise all of that. Making disciples. Being taught, being tent, sent, yeah? This is one of the things I'm wanting to add to our thoughts today, being sent. Um, <coughs> the disciple receives from the Lord, but in order that he might become an apostle to be sent, to make more disciples, and ultimately being a disciple is apostolic about being sent. Um, last week we were thinking about being coached. Well, we're sent to coach others as well. So this whole thing about discipleship needs to have this image of outward dynamic. All right, so um, can you touch the power button there? Yeah. <coughs>